Navarre gives to Perry. Perry through the middle. Touchdown, Michigan! And the Wolverines have won it in overtime. Michigan wins by a score of 27 to 24, and the team storms the field to mob Chris Perry. WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM. The Daily Sports Report. WCBN.org. Puts it around the boards. Hensick is there. Puts it out in front. Shot at that by Turnbull. He scores. Travis Turnbull took a bouncing puck in front and knocks it in the net. Wolverines extend that lead. It's now 3-1. to one. Well, uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. I'm retired Jim Dwyer. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Kind of. At the end of my row, burning the candle at both ends, as they say, for way too many weeks here. Well, between uh, WCBN Fundraiser and the uh, Ann Arbor Film Festival, I think we're... Yeah. Anybody involved with those two uh, organizations uh, has got to be a little tired. By the way, thanks uh, again to people who pledged during WCBN's fundraiser. Yes, indeedy. Thank your continued support. But uh, and another film festival's come and gone. Yep. Uh, I thought it was kind of an interesting year. It struck me that the theme of the year was uh, a lot of documentary stuff, and I noticed on Winner's Night of the movies I saw that uh, dancing, dancing images, and w- w- flowing water, or lots of flowing water, rising water, or water yeah. everywhere. Did water, you make water. it in the end to see the psychohydrography uh, picture uh, that showed on Sunday? No, I, I actually was, was originally planning on going to that about the flowing water and the sea marshes. Uh, and, that was and, very beautiful, almost yeah. hypnotizing. Yeah. Um, not uh, documentary, really, just sort of visually uh, exploring the transmutation of water and its various sure. formations. And, of course, we have radioactive water. 
Yeah, in Japan. Uh, interesting that uh, the uh, inventor of super glue died over the weekend, and I thought, oh, well, Japan has just invented super goo. <laughs> Fear not, but uh, I thought that the film festival overall this year was uh, solid, but nothing just really leaped off and captured. I, I liked the animation. The yeah. animation night was great. Well, I'm going to say a couple things stood out But you probably me. saw more movies than I did. Uh, possibly, yeah. I was there for every day of it. Um, and I actually, this year, I have very few bones to pick with the judges' decisions. I think a lot of these films that won prizes were, you know, deserving. Mm -hmm. um, particularly, I'll mention the one, These Hammers Don't Hurt Us, which won an award for most technically innovative film. I think we both like that one. That was the uh, Elizabeth Taylor uh, ghostly appearance. I don't yeah. Know if you saw that one. I thought that was a really a breathtaking film and uncanny that it happened to debut. I think that was its North American debut, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was on the night that Elizabeth Taylor had died earlier that day. So yeah. that was a sort of a ghostly moment. The uh, film that won the prize for the best LGBT film, I don't know if you saw that in the awards show, covered was also a very strong film. Yeah, I saw that. That was about more than simply gender and sexuality issues. It was about you know, multicultural society and community and and how do you celebrate the arts uh, in an atmosphere of hatred. Uh, was quite uh, compelling. But uh, in spite of the fact that The Ballad of Genesis and Lady J was a beautiful film and a, a very uh, moving and uh, touching film, and of course we had the great honor of interviewing Genesis P and uh, the director of the film, Marie Lassois, uh, here at CBN. And you're going to um, replay that at well, some yeah, point? Yeah, we will replay that probably mm -hmm. on Robot Pasta, Robot Pasta and yeah. on uh, DJ Danny Glover's kids show. We'll have the first uh, rights of rebroadcast for that since uh, he and I conducted the interview, I guess, but uh, it'll probably end up on WCBN website, I think, eventually. That was a very um, interesting interview, and what a musical legend to chat with down here uh, in the studio. But as, as strong as that film was, and as much as I really kind of hoped it would win the Best Documentary Award to make it viable for an Oscar nomination, because I think it's that you know powerful of a film, uh, I made it in to see that Chinese documentary, Disorder. Did you see that? No. Holy smokes. This is shocking uh mm -hmm. footage uh that um this is a strong film and i don't know when you're going to get a chance to see it again i just looked uh up the information online and to buy a copy of the dvd it's like 95 dollars uh so you're going to have to wait for it to air on public television i'll have to marry liz taylor to afford that <laughs> yeah <laughs> it might be too late to yeah. cash in on that but uh this was just a striking film, and it's apparently assembled uh, footage collected from handheld recorders uh, from about a dozen amateur videographers. And uh, just this description from the program booklet is really fairly compelling. Uh, a man dances in the middle of traffic, clearly a homeless and, and deranged individual, while another man tries to jump from a bridge before dozens of onlookers uh, complaining about uh, business setbacks and so forth. Uh, pigs scattering from an overturned truck run wild on the highway while dignitaries swim in heavily polluted river. An entire neighborhood swamped. Police uh, arresting people who criticize their abusive treatment of actual detainees. Just startling stuff that, uh, you know, everybody is afraid of China's growing economy. But I think when you see a film like this, you realize that China has so many domestic 
entanglements and problems and just sheer bulk numbers that uh, China has more internal problems than they could ever hope to expand outwards. Yeah, and that's why uh, they stay out of these foreign uh, wars indeed. and whatnot, which is why they frequently abstain on these issues. There's because too much going on in China. They realize they've got too much uh, going on at home. And, you know, I heard a New York Times pundit criticizing China for not being more involved in international affairs. He should see this movie and he'd understand they're busy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The phone lines are tied up, as they say. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you yeah. don't want to go to the hospital in China either. Well, it's interesting because uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was sort of going back through some uh, newspaper reading that I've fallen behind on in recent weeks for uh, personal and uh, professional reasons. <laughs> um, right before the, uh, the uh, earthquake in Japan, there was an interesting story uh, in the New York Times headlined, With an Eye on China, Japan Builds Up Military. And it goes into the uh, the details of, uh, you know, Japan's desire to increase its defense budget uh, considerably to deal with perceived threats regarding China. And there has been some, uh, shall we say, b b bellicose rhetoric going back and forth. Meanwhile, China issues a warning on climate and growth talking about the problems that they're having with their economic uh, boom. Um, same edition of the newspaper, different you know, part of the newspaper. Very interesting that um, the Chinese, um, oh, let's see, let's see which official he is. I guess he's the, uh, uh, where is that? Well, anyway, it talks about the, the um, his, his statement is, we must no longer sacrifice the environment for the sake of rapid growth and reckless ro uh, rollouts, as that would result in unsustainable growth featuring industrial overcapacity and intensive resource consumption, said Mr. Wen in an Internet chat publicized by the state media. He's basically a high-ranking official. Uh, it's actually the prime minister. Uh, when Jiaobo, um, noting that China uh, recorded 10.3% um, growth last year. But China is, is beginning to focus more and more, from, from I think, a responsible perspective about their yeah. role in contributing to greenhouse gases, environmental unsustainability, and... Uh, I think that's a welcome development because at least they have some, at least some of the top officials within the Chinese Communist Party have some realization of that is where we want to go. And let's face it, they're going to stay out of these uh, conflagrations in the Middle East. It's fascinating that there was a poll over the weekend that I heard on the BBC about the perceived growing threat of China in Western uh, Europe and the United States as an economic threat while their public image has gone way up uh, in undeveloped countries hmm. because China is much more active uh, with economic trade deals and uh, enhancing uh, particularly the African nations uh, regarding uh, their situation. Well, they've been very active in Africa buying up uh, farmland. Farmland, uh, all sorts of resources, and of course... Uh, Boneheads here in the United States uh, for forever and ever have criticized uh, China's 
one child policy, you know, that w- mm-hmm. dated back to uh, the early late Mao days, right? Late Mao days, uh, early parts of uh, Deng Xiaoping. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese recognized that they had to do this, that they had a overpopulation problem. And the overpopulation problem is inadequately discussed at any global level. And when you face reality, look, the planet is adding 80 million people per year. And this is supposed to go on until 2050. Yeah. That means more carbon will be needed to be burned. More resources will uh, be required to feed, uh, clothe, and house uh, these people. And uh, it is a serious situation that the United States, unfortunately put its head in the sand, dating back to the Reagan years in yeah. particular, that uh, eliminated, for instance, uh, family planning funding to the United Nations because of China's forced abortion policy. Strictly speaking, not always enforced in rural areas anyway, where exactly. an extra child is manageable given the demands of farm labor. Yeah, so it, it shows how uh, some of the kind of political... Uh, Interest groups here in the United States really can do very counterproductive things for the globe at large yeah. in the long run. Well, and it is interesting, too, to note that uh, there are some cultural shifts resultant uh, in China from the growth of capitalist materialism and consumerism. And, uh, you know, another decade goes by and we'll see just what sort of pressures they will bring to, these will bring to bear on uh, Chinese culture. Uh some uh, interesting uh, articles I've read about the uh, children who now grow up in this one-child uh, family policy. Um, of course, they're only children, so they're special. They're you know, they have a certain psychological standing, a way of looking at the world, and it really feeds into the um, sort of illusion of individuality through consumerism that capitalism has uh, been so successful with. Yeah. And you see explosive growth, uh, for example, in uh, the cosmetic sector in China. Perfumes, makeup, um, and as much for men as for women. In fact, men outspend women in China on cosmetics, hair transplant surgery, beautification techniques and procedures. Uh, and the theory is that it's because of this vanity of the only child. So... Yeah, and of course we should be we would be remiss not to mention that there have of course been selective sex abortions that have occurred in China. There is a remarkable oh, yeah. disparity, not as yeah. bad as India, interestingly enough. Uh, it's it's also uh, noteworthy that the movie that won the best film of the film festival was called Jan Villa by Natasha. Uh, Madonka. Um, I met her actually out in yeah, the lobby. Yeah, she was very uh, lobby, and she was on the documentary panel yep. that appeared on uh, Friday uh, on stage at the Michigan Theater. Uh, she had a, a movie about Bombay with multi image stuff and very interesting, very artistic. Yeah, she went back to visit the family home had been destroyed in a flood, I think yeah. in 08 or 09. So there was flowing water. Indeed. And I think dancing <coughs> figures as yeah, well. Yeah, that was a beautifully filmed movie, too. You know, it had a lot of stuff were, going on yeah. in it for a 20 minute uh, um, movie. So uh, hopefully, I, I know that they'll have another showing of some of the winners uh, later uh, this summer in a fundraiser over there at the, uh, everyone's favorite deli. <laughs> Uh, over there near Kerrytown, so I'll look for that. I, they usually have that sort of outside in the, you know, the patio. Yeah, uh, well, actually, uh, listeners should uh, 
anxiously await, uh, no doubt, uh, some special celebrations as the next Ann Arbor Film Festival will be the 50th. Yeah. So that's going to be a big deal, and there will probably be some uh, special. They're already back to work this week. Yeah, and I think that the real bombs that used to beleaguer the film festival way, way back some, some years ago, when it was only 16 millimeter, and there there were some real dogs. I think that element of the film festival sort of disappeared. I think that the the worst of the worst is not really that bad. It's innovative. It may not be your cup of tea, but it's still really creative mm-hmm. stuff that's going on with uh, images, music, all sorts of things. Well, and the way that the media uh, has democratized the very process of filmmaking, sure. um, I think, speaks to that as well, that there are more filmmakers, younger filmmakers, younger. visionary filmmakers with a creative perspective, so... I thought Animation Night was fantastic. I also uh, really appreciated the uh, performance, the live performance documentary that I thought substantively had a lot to say. Um, yeah, that uh, utopia in Sam Green, yeah. yeah. Who, of course, is a U of M, uh, former U of M student, uh, buddies with Jim Reish, uh, former host of uh, Friday Night Fish Fry. Uh, that was a very uplifting program, and because that was a Penny Stamps series uh, piece, that will be broadcast on U of M's public television station. And I'm told by the uh, director of the Penny Stamps series, uh, whose name Christina. is Christina. Christina. Um, I don't remember her last name. Also be uh, uh, available as a podcast. Wow. So I think for educators out there, this is something that I think high school students would find interesting well and, fascinating uh, as a live performance. 20th century history and a yeah. great live performance too you know interesting yeah. that you have a documentary being narrated live on stage with a accompanying band and of course you know a celebrity was in the band yeah drummer from fugazi which so. may have contributed to the rather large turnout that was uh yeah that was uh, and the message was very uplifting and yeah. uh you know posed the question you know gee the 20th century started out so idealistic look where we're at now you know what happened to idealism sure is it uh really such a bad thing and i remember specifically that that uh, segment on the chinese mall had been a mm. short a couple of years ago uh, a very compelling short about the Massive mall in China that is apparently twice as large as the previous biggest mall in the world, which is somewhere near Edmonton, Canada, and that uh, there was a little thing about malls and the development of shopping malls, which I, of course, hate personally. (laughs) Won't won't go there. Uh, Won't step in them. But keep your eye out for that on... uh U of M's PBS channel. I can't remember which number that is. We get three or four PBS channels around here, and I'm sure listeners can track it down. But uh, again, as a podcast, uh, Utopia in Four Movements. Yeah, real good stuff. Um, Well, uh, maybe uh, just a quick comment about Liz Taylor since. uh, Sure. We love her. She's kind of devolved into Elvis at a certain point, but uh, let's talk about the good things about her. She was a tremendous uh, star. Uh, it, maybe it's the end of an era, because she was sort of a star kind of in the, the textbook Hollywood star. 50s and 60s, that's when she really was sort of at her her, her peak. Uh, I actually, ironically, saw National Velvet uh, a, couple year, uh, a couple weeks ago as part of the 31 Days of Oscar. Surprisingly compelling movie. Highly recommended to... Uh, uh, fathers with Daughters. Show your daughter that movie. It's got a nice feminist message in it. Mm. Compelling. Uplifting. 
It's uh, good stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think that uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf is one of the great acting performances by a female in, in a lead movie. And I think the one word that describes her just perfectly is the British word lovely. She just... Hmm. She's just a lo- she was just such a lovely person, so easy to look at, and she didn't even have to say anything, you know. And uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof is certainly one of my favorite. Uh, That's a powerful film. Tennessee William derives movies. Mm-hmm. I think that the interaction between, uh, in fact, we <laughs> joke about that movie down here sometimes. That there's a whole powerful smell of men destiny around here. <laughs> Burl Ives and, and the Paul Newman thing is, is great stuff. Yeah, well, and she has the, the final big line in that movie is, there's life in me, Big Daddy. That's right. And uh, it's just a great movie. I don't know that there's a movie ever made in which a woman in a dress looks better than Liz Taylor. <laughs> in some that of, movie, yeah. Some of those uh, shots yeah. uh, made in Technicolor. Well, just uh, also, she deserves credit for her early outspoken uh, response to AIDS. Yeah. Uh, When Hollywood was pretty squeamish about it, she was not, and uh, was one of the few to openly speak about it um, and kind of draw the attention that it deserved uh, in those Reagan years when uh, the government was in denial and many people were afraid, embarrassed, or what have you to discuss such things. Um, And also, on a humorous sort of a trivial footnote, uh, the one word ever spoken by uh, TV's Maggie Simpson, who's been an infant sucking a pacifier for, what, 20 years now on television, uh, the one word spoken by Maggie Simpson was, uh, a line was delivered by Liz Taylor. She did the voice of Maggie Simpson. Wow, well, that's trivia that I didn't know. Maybe that will come handy come in handy sometime at a uh, pub trivia <laughs> performance yeah the new york times obituary is fascinating because it's one of the biggest obituaries you'll ever see it's a it's huge full like two pages uh, two pages uh with a photograph of her on the front i understand that the obituary was actually written many years ago and that the author of the obituary uh has passed away wow the new york times actually files obituaries for famous figures but i just wanted to Quote this uh, comment by uh, Vincent Camby, a longtime uh, film critic of the New York Times, who said, more than anyone else that I can think of, Elizabeth Taylor represents the complete movie phenomenon. What movies are as art and as an industry and what they have meant to those who have grown up watching them in the dark. (laughs) That's very nicely said. Yes. (laughs) There is something compelling about going to the movies uh, in the in the big theater. Jim and I are both big advocates of uh, the Michigan Theater for all it uh, contributes here in town, and seeing movies as an art form on the big screen. Sure, and in the company and presence of others. Yeah, it's uh, it's a unique experience, and uh, I don't think it will ever go away. Despite the advent of home video, and even with digital downloading and all that sort of thing. Uh, there's no replacement for a good film on a big screen. Comfortable seats, nice too. But <laughs> <clears throat> well, uh, there's a big show on TV tonight, of course, because Obama's. Uh, oh right, yeah, the speech. Talking, and I doubt that will be very entertaining uh, or very long. I suspect it's going to be a pretty short announcement. Yeah, and it's interesting. I heard a late sort of breaking story that this is not going to be an Oval Office you know, with the presidential flag uh, kind of speech. He's giving it actually around the corner at some 
Policy Institute, which I think is smart. Yeah. Um, Obama, of course, has taken a lot of criticism from all sides on this whole business. And, you know, it's it's important to realize that this Qaddafi story sort of erupted, uh, you know, almost just about five, six weeks ago. It's not that long in the making. And he, of course, is getting the criticism that he didn't do it quick enough and was dawdling and dithering and whatnot. But uh, I think he's done the smart thing here overall. He's gone in a multilateral approach, not a unilateral Mm. approach. He's pretty much announced that we are handing this over to NATO. This is not going to become a ground operation. I think Gates and even Hillary Clinton have made that quite clear, along with other high-ranking administration officials. I think that it is somewhat necessary for Obama to basically explain what we've done, what we're doing, and what we're not going to do. Right. And I think he's going to do that. Uh, he's good at that sort of thing. Uh, I did a quick brain damage award out to Dennis Kucinich for saying, I'm going to introduce articles of impeachment. <laughs> this is not Cambodia. This is not policy that's being made secretly behind the darks. It's made behind the scenes with consultation with <coughs> Europeans. And the language is pretty narrow and specific, too. Yeah. It's uh, it's clearly uh, narrowly defined as a uh, defense of civilian population. It's not to overthrow Gaddafi no. specifically. It's not to kill or capture him. It's simply to act as a buffer to keep uh, Gaddafi's troops away from civilians. Yeah, and Obama's big problem is not going to be this speech. I think that will come across... You know, he'll get a B-plus for whatever he says, probably at the worst. His big problem now is that the American media has has bollocked up everything about this story, I think. They, they, you know, first of all, with anything involving Qaddafi is, is susceptible to disinformation and propaganda. Right. Uh, Gray Matters is always sort of specialized in uh, trying to disseminate disinformation and propaganda. And by in no way, shape, or form are we defending Qaddafi uh, when we uh, critique, uh, um, shall we say, military action against him. What's really happened here is that uh, for the for the time being, America has basically leveled the playing field. Um, whether its goal at the end of the day is to overthrow Qaddafi, that's another question. But I think that the United States is wisely going to step aside uh, from this, at least. Uh, shall we say, demote or um, sort of reduce the the the, the uh, image and the perception that we're in charge of this operation. Turn it over to NATO. I would even recommend handing it over to the Turks quite a bit. They seem to be interested in a negotiated settlement. But Obama's big problem here is that the media is going to move the goalposts on him. And it's it's almost no matter what, no matter what. And if he doesn't get rid of Gaddafi, then that will be his failure. Mm -hmm. And that will be the critique that he's going to be taking. You know, Joe Lieberman appeared on television a couple of weeks ago and actually claimed that genocide was occurring in Libya. Now, I didn't believe that for one second. Um, That's not genocide. What was occurring in Libya? What was occurring in Libya was a rebellion that was 
basically uh, provoked uh, and uh, spurred on by events in the neighboring countries, Tunisia and Egypt, and other Middle East countries. I pointed out last week that if you look at the unrest in the Middle East, it, it pretty much goes from Morocco to Pakistan as we speak. Mm -hmm. Every country's got problems, and Libya's problems are unique and different. But it's very important to realize that Gaddafi, while vilified in the American media, media very simplistically at times does have a big following in many african countries Gaddafi has not all bad he's not saddam hussein um he's not adolf hitler <laughs> no and actually libya has dispersed uh oil revenues in ways that other arab countries have not he's given a lot of direct aid i mean to actually state what the historical facts are. He's done that. And a lot of these refugees, you know, the, the reason that Europe is so interested in this problem is the refugee problem mm -hmm. that, that this has created. Uh, as I pointed out a couple weeks ago, Gaddafi has actually employed hundreds of thousands of migrant workers to work in their oil fields and service industries from here and there. And there are, there is a genuine refugee problem. Of course, it's you know, ending up in in Italy's shores, but the Prime Minister of Italy um, is hardly in a position to do much. Uh, let's see, the recent update on him is that he's uh, got a hearing coming up in Mil in Milan, uh, Milan, that's uh, the local town around the corner here in Michigan, on April 6th. He's being charged with uh, having paid sex for underage Moroccan teenager 13 times last year at his uh, villa. That's the leader of Italy. <laughs> a billionaire, a Rupert Murdoch running a, a modern westernized country. So he's relatively useless. Although he claims that he does not buy sex. No. But Sarkozy's situation wagging the dog, that's clear to me. You know, that there is there is a connection there. And, of course, France, for whatever reason, is trying to catapult itself into a more prominent military yeah. position here. But Gaddafi, this is a small country. He doesn't have any military capability of stopping uh, NATO and or American uh, air power. He doesn't have any... Uh, equipment uh he does have a goodly amount of gold socked away he's though. got a goodly amount uh, of gold 6.5 billion in gold which of course is the ultimate in uh liquid uh liquidity um easily swapped for any number of supplies and goods and he's got plenty of black gold too <laughs> well he's got both kinds yeah so uh, you know who knows what's going to happen here but uh, you know we need to be careful about who the rebels are uh, there's been a lot of baloney about them. Um, I, po I, I didn't get to this last week because we ran out of time, but I just would like to point out that we've supported a lot of very heinous rebels uh, in the past. And uh, the idea that we're... I thought that Jim Webb, the senator from uh, Virginia, who's uh, retiring and who I predict will become the Secretary of Defense after Gates finally leaves, uh, said, well, I want to know who they are before I'm willing to send them arms and whatnot, because right. there are American politicians, uh, John McCain, always good for campaigning without his space helmet. He's been out there uh, leading the charge of the Light Brigade again. Although it is interesting, and one wonders whether this question will ever emerge in the American media, certainly, but although... It's easy to sell the idea to Americans of, well, we have to step in and protect civilians. That's a legitimate you know, humanitarian issue. It's not necessarily a military objective. Um, 
but there was very little interest in stepping in on behalf of uh, uh, people who live in Gaza uh, yeah. a couple of years ago. Well, and, and let's uh, remember, we've only had five declared wars in American history, the two world wars of the 20th century, the two imperialistic wars of the 19th century, and the War of 1812, which uh, was complicated, but... Uh, We've had a lot of military 